Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 205 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Leading in a Low Accountability Culture. Another Q&A with M. Pretty much every piece of content we produce focuses on the link between leadership and performance, because this is the critical piece of the puzzle that seems to have disappeared from the leadership discourse in the last 10 or 15 years. Value creation is the name of the game. And knowing what value means in your context is obviously a prerequisite to being able to deliver it. It's not just about the money, 
Although, as I say, there isn't an organisation on the planet that doesn't rely on being financially healthy in order to survive and keep delivering on its mission. Despite our laser-like focus on value, many of our podcast listeners work in organisations that have a very different view on performance. And many of those organisations reward people for not making waves, rather than for making a difference. No culture is perfect, and it's always a continuum. Performance and accountability sit somewhere within a range, and pretty much every organisation on the planet could move closer to the high-end performance than where they currently sit. But if you do find yourself on the lower end of the range, working in a low accountability culture that isn't focused on performance, it doesn't mean you should fall back into the comfortable mediocrity of your peers. The fact that you are listening to this podcast is testament to your desire to be better for the people you lead and for your organisation. But the context of leadership is really different when the culture you're working within doesn't support or encourage you to do the things that will make the most difference. Now, of course, given this is a Q&A episode, I'm welcoming our producer, M, back to this side of the mic. Hey, Em, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I am good. Thanks for inviting me back on to the podcast. I've been really excited to record this episode because we have so many students who go through our program, Leadership Beyond the Theory, who do Module 7, which is all about driving accountability. And they say, okay, cool. Now I know how to do this, but there's no way that it's going to be accepted in my workplace. So, you know, I'll, I'll generalize here, but a lot of these people work in, you know, public service, government or small business environments. Yeah, for sure. Um, we get that. And it's a very different environment, but it doesn't mean you can't be a strong leader, even though you're in that environment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Marty, you said in the intro, not everyone is lucky enough to work in a high performance culture. And I just think this is a really good place to start. How do you make a difference? The first question comes from Lily. Lily said, Marty, I'm an avid fan of your podcast and book. I'm a leader in the public sector. How do you drive performance where employment is secured and there's no risk of contracts being terminated? Really tricky. Yes, it can be a little bit tricky, this one, Em, uh, because we're talking about a consequence-free environment here. So in other words, people won't face any repercussions for their behavioral performance. And the worst thing is they know it, right? Now, it doesn't mean you won't have really good people in the organization. There are always great people who make a difference. It's just that in those low accountability cultures, these people are fewer and farther between than they are in high performance cultures. So when you're in a low accountability culture, you're relying on the motivation, uh, professionalism and commitment of each individual. You don't have that culture of consistent performance excellence that you'd ideally like to create. So of course your results are gonna be entirely unpredictable. Uh, just depending on who decides to show up on any given day. <laughs> so yeah, look, it's really hard to set the minimum acceptable standard for your people because we know that standard is set by your weakest performer. Now that's the person who everyone looks at to see how that low watermark is, how low that low watermark can go. And if that's a person who does nothing, produces nothing, turns up uh, irregularly and thumbs their nose at management, then that can be a real culture killer, right? Everyone else knows that they can cruise along at a fraction of their real capacity and still get paid every month, no matter what. Pretty depressing when you think about it. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty bleak picture that you've painted. But surely there are still things that you can do if you're leading in that type of culture, aren't there? 
I mean, I know when it comes to our students, there are many of them working in, I don't know, say not-for-profit or government organizations, and they truly want to make a difference. Um, And they're doing exceptional work for the community. There's got to be something that they can do to lift their team's performance, surely. Give us some hope, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, as you know, Em, there's always something, right? So in the absence of any potential consequences for individuals, you're going to end up with three things. You'll get low accountability, which leads to mediocre performance, which leads to poor results. Now, the thing is, no one really likes working in that type of culture, but they often feel as though they don't have options. So they'll tolerate it, they'll bitch and moan about it around the the water cooler, but they won't do anything to change Mm. it. Uh, And as you know, we talk a lot about that nexus between accountability and empowerment. So accountability is difficult to implement properly if people don't believe there are any consequences for the choices they make about how they behave and perform. They know they'll always have a job. But the spectre of losing your job isn't the only thing that motivates people. Um, The threat of termination that Lily referenced is a last resort strategy. And that reminds me of the quote from the famous gangster Al Capone. He said, you can get a lot further with a kind word and a gun than you can with a kind word alone. (laughs) I love that. Now, Yeah, it's harsh, but... Look, it plays on the fact that humans are more motivated by potential loss or negative consequences than they are by positive outcomes and rewards. That's why the positive motivation you try to create through leadership isn't actually enough. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient, as they say. And it certainly can't drive performance the same way that people respond when they know that you have a big stick behind your back. I wish that that weren't the case, but it is. They've studied this for years and years, and it's pretty much a fact of life. Mm, very true. Look, on the positive motivation side, though, you talk a lot about showing people what it feels like to really achieve and to build their self-esteem and confidence, right? So maybe it's worth looping back to Dan Pink's work. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point, Em. So um, Dan Pink's book, Drive, uh, is a must read. If you haven't got it, pick it up. It's, it's sensational. He looks at the MIT incentive study, which was probably the definitive work in this area of motivation. And he found that the three things that motivate people the most in a positive way are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So forget about the consequences for a moment. What you want to do is give people those three things. And, you know, the autonomy is the ability to make their own decisions and have some control over their destiny. And when people come into work in those low accountability environments, occasionally they're just going to feel as though they have no autonomy. They can't make any decisions on their own. Um, Mastery is all about, of course, the um, ability to take on new challenges, to get good at them and to get really good at them. And that progression really makes you feel good about yourself and your capability and your self-esteem. And then, of course, there's purpose. You know, why am I doing this? Why why am I here? Am I just here to clock in and clock off and get a paycheck? Or is there something bigger at stake? And in those organizations where you don't have the specter of consequences, Purpose can be a really big motivator. Uh, Just think about, you know, not-for-profits and government organizations. You're there to serve the community. And there's a range of ways that this can happen. If you focus on that, that's going to give you a really good opportunity to motivate people. So you can give people a lot of that without ever having that proverbial iron fist in the velvet glove, right? The autonomy piece really relies on the extent to which you can empower your people. And this is a standard part of leadership in any environment. So you set clear objectives, you agree on realistic deadlines, you resource people adequately, you don't usurp their decision rights. 
you support them in their cross-team skirmishes, you're um, available to help them solve their problems and issues, you protect them from organisational politics. There are lots of ways to empower people and they're open to you as a leader. Now, even in the highest performing teams, empowerment has to come before accountability. It's no different whether you're working for a Fortune 500 company, whether you're in the public sector or not-for-profit, it's the same. Empower people and then hold them to account. And holding to account doesn't mean that the only remedy for non-performance is dismissal. That would be sort of a cruel and unusual culture, right? But it can mean that people might lose their right to contribute or um, maybe they don't get allocated the prime projects or uh, perhaps they don't receive the development training they'd like. There's always more than one way to skin a cat and the inability to enforce the ultimate solution doesn't mean you don't have any tools at all. That's a really good point, Marty. Is there any way you know how to lift that minimum acceptable standard without being able to terminate someone's employment? Um, look, I don't know, maybe. Um, but I think really the minimum acceptable standard is always set by your weakest performer. And in a low accountability environment, that could be really low. Mm. My one suggestion, I guess, would be to push the leaders above you for the green light to at least surgically remove any cancer from your team. Now, you know, that's the person that we mentioned before who's just taking advantage of the situation and the whole team is being demoralized as a result. Uh, I did a podcast episode on this dynamic about three years ago. It was um, episode 56, Dealing with Change Resistance. And the subtitle was, You Will Have to Shoot a Hostage. (laughs) Now, in that episode, you'll remember this, Em, I mentioned the cultural benefits of removing someone who's holding the whole team back it completely changes the cultural feel of the team. And the big benefit doesn't come from replacing the underperformer, although that's always a breath of fresh air. Obviously, they take a lot of time and energy from you. The benefit comes from everyone else seeing that you're prepared to take action in order to improve the performance of the team. And the minimum acceptable standard is lifted accordingly. Now, it becomes the second lowest performer who sets your low watermark. And they start to act differently because they know now that they've just been put on notice. You've demonstrated that you're prepared to do the hard yards and that the organisation is going to support you in doing them. So you're saying, no tourists. Don't just assume you aren't able to remove anyone. Every organisation has its limits. You may be putting artificial constraints on yourself by assuming that you wouldn't have support to remove someone. So what if they were committing fraud? Well, you'd get rid of them. What if they were um, sexually harassing their team members? Well, you'd get rid of them. You just need to find out what the limits of tolerance truly are, and you can work through that with your boss. So anyhow, if you have one of those chronic non-performers who thinks they're untouchable, it's worth the fight to remove them. If you don't, everyone else on your team suffers. And why would you let the vast majority of good people suffer because you aren't prepared to deal with the troublemaker who's making poor choices? So is this a case where you just kind of push ahead, you know, that whole easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission thing? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know me. You know me pretty well, Em, and I'd normally say yes to that for sure. <laughs> but you probably need to make sure your boss is at least neutral if you're working in that sort of low accountability context. Um, you want to make sure that they don't stop you or overrule your decisions. Now, they might not actively support you, and that's okay, but they have to give you enough autonomy to do the things that'll make a difference and to keep you engaged in your work as a leader. Uh, without that, uh, every day is a really long day in the office, right? <laughs> no doubt. That is great, Marty. We've covered uh, quite a lot of ground there, actually. 
The second question is quite closely related to Lily's and it comes from Brad. So we're going on the same vein here. Brad's question was, I work in a government department where the standard is painfully low. Everyone Mm. is used to doing things the way they've been doing them for years and it's driving me mad. I love the work I do and it makes a big difference to those in society. So I'd prefer to try and raise the standard of the team if I can before looking for a job in another company. Do you have any tips on how to do this? And I love this question, Marty, because, you know, as I said in the intro, there are so many people out there trying to make a a big difference and do really great things for people in the community. And they can be quite hamstrung by a low performance and a low accountability culture. Yeah, and to an extent, it sort of mystifies me that um, anyone would let a culture uh, degrade to the way that is. I mean, mm. you see it happen, and I think it's that futility that people feel, the old, you know, I'm just a small cog in a big wheel and I can't actually make a difference. Yeah. But as we know, you can always make a difference, Brad, so this is good. Um, there are probably a few tips you would have picked up from Lily's question that might be useful to you, but let me just add a few things for you. We spoke about the motivating forces of autonomy, mastery, and purpose from Dan Pink's work. And from the question, it seems like there's a really rich vein to tap into around purpose. If what you do makes a massive difference to those you serve, it's really worth putting this purpose front and center with your team. I know the profit motive isn't there, but the loss motive can be powerful too. A colleague of mine who used to run a large not-for-profit organization in Australia used to say to his exec team, we're not for profit. We're not for bloody loss either. And <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if you, it's really good, isn't it? Um, if you're providing a service to people in the community, then every dollar that's wasted or spent inefficiently is a dollar that's squandered and doesn't help the people you serve. You're effectively robbing the people that you're there to serve. Mm, that is a great perspective, Marty. It really is about how you look at these things sometimes, isn't it? I guess we know that motivation can be fleeting. What do you do when your team motivation slumps and you're left to contemplate the cold, hard reality of your underperforming organizational culture? Uh, Seems bleak again. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, this is is a tough episode to get through this one. (laughs) It is, yeah. (laughs) Um, Look, I think the best companion you have is a really good grip on reality. This is all about constraints and choices, right? Now, I talk a lot about this in Leadership Beyond the Theory because we get to make choices every single day about what we do and how we do it. Even the best job in the world has constraints. The question is, can you live with them or not? So your constraint might be um, a micromanaging boss or a peer who's actively working the political back channels to try and bring you down. Um, It might be a lack of appropriate resources to deliver what you've been asked to deliver. It might be a lack of the types of assets that you really need to compete effectively in your market. It might be uh, a poor strategy. It makes it difficult for you to see a path to future profitability. It might be uh, a lack of advancement opportunities that match your levels of ambition. Or it might just be a constraint on the quality of people you can entice to come and work for you in your industry and location. Now, let's face it, we don't all work for Google, right? So once you've identified the constraints that are causing you grief, don't feel as though you're trapped by them. Instead, ask yourself this really simple question. Am I prepared to live within these constraints or aren't I? Now, if you're prepared to live within the constraints, then at least you've made a conscious choice, backed by your own experience and judgment. In this scenario, just get on with it. Do the very best you can while working within the constraints 
that simply come with the territory. These constraints are just a cold, hard fact of the organisation you're in. So don't agonise over them, don't wring your hands, and don't feel as though you're trapped. On the other hand, if you're not prepared to live with those constraints, then vote with your feet. It's the only answer. <laughs> yeah, I figured that that's where this one was going. Are there any other alternatives that you've seen work in the past? Uh, look, not really, Em. I think if you don't accept the constraints and put them behind you, it, it'll drive you crazy eventually. Like your own work performance will slip, you'll lose your confidence, and you'll be absolutely miserable every day you turn up. So you're much better cutting your losses and heading to greener pastures, I reckon. Um, but, you know, again, if you decide to tough it out, at least it's a choice. And you lose that sense of being trapped in a, in a Groundhog Day situation. Um, that's going to force you to develop a victim mentality really quickly, right? Yeah, totally. So, look, if you do decide to tough it out, do you recommend then chatting with your boss about increasing the accountability culture within your team so that they've at least got your back with some of the tough calls that you want to make? I guess if the answer is yes to that, do you have any thoughts on how to approach that without saying, you know, you're a shit boss, you've allowed a weak accountability culture and it's impacting everyone's performance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't tell your boss this shit. They probably know deep down. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. So as long as you're in the role, you've got to try everything within your power to make a difference. It's what leaders do, right? But lots of leaders just wave the white flag and they settle back into the complacency with everyone else. So if you want to talk to your boss, a good way to couch it is by highlighting the value leakage. So for example, you could say something like this, right? Um, hey, Ted, look, I know you're committed to what we do here. I can see some areas for improvement, though, which I think will really lift our ability to serve our community. But it means I'm going to have to raise the standard in the team and ask more from them in terms of their current performance. Now, I can't do this without your support because some of the team won't like it. But if we don't improve, we're effectively robbing our customers of opportunities, and I know you wouldn't want that. Uh, or yeah, something similar to that. Always focus on the desirable outcome, the end customer, who we mustn't forget is the reason we're employed in the first place. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice, Marty. I know a couple of people will no doubt be listening back to that a few times and practicing it in the mirror. One final question. Changing a whole organization's culture from low to high accountability is something that really has to happen from the very top. And it's not a fast process. This can be pretty overwhelming for some leaders. As you said, it can really make them feel like they're just a little cog in a massive wheel. So do you recommend just focusing on your team, lifting their performance and not worrying about everyone else? If so, how can you get your team on board to kind of buck the trend that they're seeing all around them? Because obviously, if there's underperformers everywhere else, how are they going to be motivated to really you know, reach the goals that you're, you want to set for them? Yeah, that's, that's spot on, Em. Look, if it doesn't come from the top, and not just come from the top, but come from the top with a deep commitment and a serious appetite to drive change, then the inertia of the organization is just going to be overwhelming. Nothing's going to happen, right? And I know lots of CEOs who walk around like the Empress New Clothes. I think we did an episode on that once, didn't we? The Empress New Clothes. Um, trying to believe that things are changing when everyone can see that they're not. Now, it might just be the industries and companies I've been exposed to, uh, but in my experience, there aren't that many CEOs who have that burning desire to do whatever it takes in the people and culture space. Like they'll do whatever it takes in, in lots of areas of business, but somehow they shy away from some of the more obvious cultural reform initiatives. Um, either that or they'll 
initiate a program and then pay lip service to it. Or they'll put a program in place and then not hold their leaders to account for implementing it. So short answer is, if you do manage to find yourself in an organisation where the CEO has a genuine appetite for making change to people, culture and performance, well, you've got to capitalise on that opportunity. If you don't have the support of an organisational drive for improvement in team performance, then my view would be that you have to do everything possible with the resources you do control and influence, and that's your own team. So as I said before, understand the constraints, recognise the cold hard facts, and just put your head down to do everything within your power to make your team better within the parameters you've been given. Awesome. Thanks, Marty. That is amazing coverage of those two questions. Big thanks to Lily and Brad for their candid questions and sending those in. I know a lot of listeners out there are going to get a huge amount of value from this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, maybe just a couple of final notes from me on the topic before we wrap up. Uh, Lots of people like to think they work in a high accountability, high performance environment, but they actually don't. More often than not, that impression comes from being too insular and not realising what goes on in the rest of the world. It's a more subtle form of believing your own bullshit, right? (laughs) What a great note to end on. (laughs) All right, before you wrap up this episode, I just want to let our listeners know that if you are thinking about joining the October 2022 cohort of our online program, Leadership Beyond the Theory, now is the time to join the wait list. Head to leadershipbeyondthetheory.com for all the information you could possibly want about the program and to join the wait list, I will put a link in the show notes. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Em. I'm uh, really, really excited to share the updated curriculum that we've been working so hard on with our October cohort. It's going to be an absolute blast. So anyhow, that brings us to the end of episode 205. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode right now. Yes, now, with your network of leaders. Uh, I'm going to look forward to next week's episode because I'm going to do a long overdue reboot of our most popular podcast episode ever, Respect Before Popularity. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.